0: In light of the current events sparked by the injustice and brutal murder of George Floyd, we would be remiss not to take a moment and let our listeners know where we stand. We stand wholeheartedly with the movement of Black Lives Matter and are committed to do our part, demanding a change. As three white males, we know it's no longer enough to simply be non-racist, but this is a time for educating ourselves and pursuing a better future as anti-racist. We will use our voice to stand along our black family and friends to spread this revolution of compassion, empathy, equality, and love. We must see a change in the system. We strive for a tomorrow that is not simply colorblind, but a system that recognizes and embraces our differences. We understand that it is our own white privilege that has fostered this system whose leaders are motivated to keep us separated. But we will continue to actively repurpose our privilege and distribute our resources to help dismantle the very system we've created.
1: You are listening to the Create a Burn podcast. You are listening to the Create a Burn podcast. Filmmaking, acting, all of that, it's just a big exercise in empathy. Trying to understand different people's points of view and show conflicts in an empathetic way. It's really why people are drawn to movies. I like to think that we are more than the worst things we've ever done, or our worst opinion, or our worst moments. And we can ultimately rise above any bad things that we've gone through, and movies are a good way to showcase that kind of empathy.
2: Hey, what's happening, Creative Podcast Family? Hey, how are you guys doing, CJ? What's up, Chad? <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> to be
3: here. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> It, I thought you is? got all that uh, rest it, and relaxation. Now you're like energized and ready to go. Is this is this the Florida still inside you? It <laughs> takes two weeks. <laughs> oh,
2: takes two God. weeks to get
3: out. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Davis? I'm good. I got my well-needed rest. I woke up about noon.
0: <laughs> nice. Are
3: we doing any video games? I am. No, I, uh, I'm still playing Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, which sweet. Is pretty great.
2: I've been playing video games in my head, known as books. <laughs>
3: Ooh, Smarty Pants. <laughs>
0: Boring. I <laughs> know. Uh, Who reads books?
2: Stupid
0: people. <laughs> what are you reading right now?
2: Um, I actually just read the first Harry Potter. I had nev- I've had i never read them, so I, re- I wanted something uh, nice and easy and fun with all this going on. So I went with that. So I just finished that. And then uh, I'm going the opposite way, and there's a book called uh, House of Leaves, which actually um, Kevin Bacon, I think, is coming out with a movie or something that just got released that's it but it's a really cool book I'm starting to read that
0: hey i actually listened to ready player one on the way down and back got the whole thing i need in. to listen to that had you seen the movie no i haven't now i want to watch oh, the movie okay good. that was the thing last time i was like i'm not going to watch the movie until i've read the book and yeah, yeah 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 i was really you'll you'll be mad at the movie even though it's fun to watch but yeah. the
2: book is so much better there's so much good stuff in the book that does not make the movie uh, which is like any book
3: yeah. yeah, There's this video of this kid and it's like Christmas time and his parents are, you know, they rush down to the tree and start grabbing their gifts. And this boy starts to open it up and it's books. And he just goes, what? <laughs> this is awful. This isn't yeah. toys. These are books. And he just gets so oh, pissed. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know why I love that so much. I feel like that would have been my reaction when I was a kid, though. Like now, I'd be like, "Oh, books, awesome!" But like when I was a kid, I'd be like, "What? Yeah, you want me to learn? <laughs> Socks and books?"
0: <laughs> One year we got all three of them brand new bikes for Christmas. It's a big reveal thing. Like we're hiding the bikes in the garage, you know, and like, "All right, you guys ready for your big gift?" They're like, "Yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go." We took them down, you know, blindfolded them, you know, took them down to where the bikes were, and like, "Okay, take them off," and they will take them off, and they're like, "Bikes." Like, yeah, bikes. <laughs> oh, and then they walk back. And we're like, what? Like, you're not getting any more presents ever again. <laughs> like, what were, they, what were they wanting? Why were the bikes disappointing? Were oh, they I'm wanting- sure it was probably like a video game or something that no. they were really excited. But they had already gotten. <laughs> getting-
2: that's when you go, see, that's why you didn't get it. We have things we need to work on. And there's <laughs> right. no, if you're acting this way by not getting this, you are no way mature enough to handle video yeah. games surprise
0: <laughs> you thought you were getting a video game but you're getting personal development <laughs> congratulations speaking of uh things that we need to
3: work on mm-hmm. as a civilization this is a perfect segue <laughs> 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 don't, don't judge it inclusivity <laughs> don't judge that is our letter <laughs> for the day inclusivity like in the creative world with movies and books and just art in general what's that mean to you guys as far as how we should be inclusivity or what do you mean? When you thought of inclusivity as a kid, it probably never really dawned on you of like people of color or the LGBTQ plus community or anything like that. It was more of just like including your friends and family and things like that. But like on a level of just humanity and people kind of finding out who they are, I think it's like an incredibly important thing that we are now including just kind of everybody within the community community to be able to express themselves the way that they've always felt they should or could.
0: Recently, in the last few years, we've seen the, you know, where every kid that participates in a race, in an event, gets an award. It's like a participation award. There's that side of inclusivity, but then there's also the side where like, people that are different need to be included too. So like, and honestly, that's something that we all balance too, is those are two, I think, separately exclusive things because it's easy to say, okay, Everybody that participates gets a thing, but we can't take away that idea that if you're the fastest one, right. you know, there might be a first place or second place based on your performance, you but know, you and still so kind of have to earn team. Yeah. And so that's where, especially now on the other side of that, where it's based on differences, we're now trying to unlearn a lot of the things that we've been taught or maybe learning for the first time what it really means to be inclusive in a way that is based on a difference, that's not based on a performance.
2: I think it's also not just about inclusivity, but encouragement.
3: Well, our guest today, he speaks on it a lot. He's a huge proponent for the LGBTQ plus community, filmmaker from Kansas City, and currently working on a documentary called Chasing Chasing Amy. With Kevin Smith, deals a lot about how that movie influenced them to be comfortable with themselves and to come out and to just, you know, be an ultimate badass.
0: I love the way Sav relays his outlook and brings in the importance of This empathy idea and the way that he's doing an interview, you know, even if they have a different view from his, really good grasp on that. So my upbringing, I was from a small, you know, like 15,000 people, but I didn't know any openly gay or there wasn't any, you know, that that at least were, you know, open about it. There's people that have grown up in that to where like they have zero exposure. And so there's a lot to learn, you know, and- Mm -hmm. Parents aren't teaching their kids because it's just not a part of their world in certain ways. And I think that's changed now. There are things that we have to learn. Yeah. Our society still holds on to what they perceive as a lot of universal truths. You know, they've been taught this one thing that's like, it's always going to be true no matter what. And I think we're in the day and age now where we're revisiting a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and we should. We should constantly, and that's, I, I think that's with the art, you know, and creatives, like, we need to have these discussions because we're going to be the creators that are putting the movies out and the things that people are going to watch So maybe change some minds, you know.
2: Yeah. And I um, say we do it right now with Sav Rogers.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're still doing the intro. Yeah, let's do it. I like talking to you
3: guys. <laughs> Our guest today is Sav Rogers. He's a huge proponent for inclusivity and encouragement in the LGBTQ plus community. He's a filmmaker, a writer, podcaster, film festival programmer, and public speaker. He's currently directing a documentary called Chasing Chasing Amy which deals with the cultural impact of chasing Amy on the greater LGBTQ plus community and his own life. He delivered a Ted talk about that film and how that influenced him when he was younger called the rom-com that saved my life. In 2019, he was awarded the filmmaker of the year at the Austin Revolution Film Festival. You can find them at savrogers.com to see what they've been working on and keep up with them. We're very fortunate to have them on this podcast. So let's get this fire started. First question,
2: are those cameras always behind you? Or did you specifically put those cameras in there for us? Uh, No, they
1: specifically are there all the time, actually. For this documentary I'm making called Chasing Chasing Amy, I watched Tiger King, right? And I was Mm. like, there's not nearly enough B-roll for this movie. (laughs) And I was basically told by my editor, you need to film a bunch of stuff of you in quarantine. So those two are pretty much Touching. always in use. Just <laughs> always going. Basically, it's like the most boring, mundane things that may end up being really yeah. great B-roll, you know, a year from now. So yeah. when I'm working and not stuck in quarantine, usually they're not built like that. And I just take yeah. a set or whatever. But for now, they live there. I will say I did move them slightly into camera, though, because they were like slightly off camera. And I was like, mm, that's annoying looking. Let's just let's just uh, it goes with the theme of the show. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs>
3: so when you did your TED talk, I'd like you to kind of explain a little bit of how you kind of got into that, but mm-hmm. also kind of going way back when, where you decided film was like the best way to express yourself and and how you kind of found that venue.
1: Yeah, great question. So I basically saw chasing Amy at age twelve. Mm-hmm. And it was totally revolutionary for me in a multitude of ways, but it also presented the idea that filmmaking could be somebody's job because movies didn't just like appear in my house. Somebody had to Make them right, and so I started like thinking about that at that time. And by the time I was like 16, I was like, I really want to make movies and make TV, and that was really when I was like, All right, I want to be a director of movies, I want to be a showrunner of TV, which is like very specific for like a 16 year old, but like <laughs> basically, I didn't have like a ton of fun in high school, so I was just like thinking about like how great my life could be if I could like get out of here. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was what I spent a lot of time doing was like thinking of TV shows and movies and how do I figure out how to do this? And Mm -hmm. I decided I was going to go to film school with the encouragement of like my folks. I didn't think they would be supportive, which I don't know why because they've always been supportive of everything I've done, but I was just like, Oh, they've got like real jobs. They're not going to understand this. And they did, they were fine. So that was when I like decided that was going to be the thing. And you know, I didn't really know You know, I just thought movies would be cool because I loved movies. You know, I never thought I would, like, be an author or anything. But I was, like, 13, I was convinced I was going to write poetry for a living. And then I (laughs) met a writer, and she was like – Kid, be a ghostwriter. There's money there. There's no money in poetry. It was like she was like, "Don't
3: it was, do it." She so basically hard. had like a transatlantic
1: <laughs> right. accent. And was like, "Hey, kid, don't do it." Um, it was, uh, <laughs> was eye opening. I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's not a job." Which, like, it is a job, but probably not as maybe it pays not better than a film. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with the TED Talk, basically. I saw a Facebook ad (laughs) when I was procrastinating on writing a script and they were like, apply for the Ted residency. And I was like, Oh, Ted has a residency. That's interesting. And I kept scrolling. And then I saw it again and I was like, okay, well maybe I should just apply for it. The worst they could say is no. And I didn't really have Mm -hmm. an idea of what I wanted to talk about. I just attached a still from the last short film I did called Queen for a Day. Um, my director's reel, And I gave like a very vague pitch of like, Hey, I want to talk about like, LGBTQ representation in movies. I'm qualified to talk about it. I make movies. I'm trying to get to a higher level, but this is what I do now. And they went for it and they were like, Hey, so your pitch was really vague, but we like you a lot. What would you talk about if you had to give a Ted talk tomorrow? And I was like, well, we got this documentary I'd like to make about chasing Amy. And you know, here's my story with how chasing Amy impacted me. And the interview just went really well with Cindy, Katrina and Jordan, who are the people that interviewed me over at Ted. And, uh, They were like, that is so specific. We have never heard a pitch that narrow before. (laughs) And they were like, we'll let you know in two weeks. And then like two days later, I found out I got it. And that's awesome. It was like the biggest door opening that could have ever happened for me. Did you expect it to kind of blow up that way? No, I mean, I just, I was like surprised that I got it. And I was like, wow, this is really big. You know, like TED is like this big thing to a lot of people. It's got millions and millions of followers and people watch TED Talks all the time. And so I was like, this is really exciting, but I didn't know how stoked people would be about it until like Mm -hmm. I posted that I got it on Facebook and then it got like a ton of attention. And I was like, okay, maybe this is like an opportunity (laughs) to really make something of this movie and to like use this as an opportunity to carry over into the documentary I want to make. When I got to Ted, you know, everybody was like really stoked about my talk after I I gave the first pitch for it. Like, Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, wow. Like, I thought I was just doing this for an audience of one. But it turns out, like, the more personal you get, the more universal it can feel, I guess. You know, there's, like, a power in specificity. So I just, like, was really honest about my experiences growing up and how hard it was to be closeted as a queer kid. It really helped. And it helped me feel better about that period of my life and helped me let go a lot of the hurt maybe I was still carrying around. But it also, like, resonated enough to, like, Help launch the documentary and get me way more access. And so there was like a benefit to being so honest is that people responded to it. And the people I wanted to respond to it saw it and felt comfortable doing interviews with me for this movie. And that was, you know, so far, that's been the best thing. (laughs) Now,
2: who was kind of one of the first big names that kind of I know, like people were kind of tweeting it out to Ben and some of the people from the movie and stuff who kind of reached out first or that you noticed from the
1: from the movie that saw it. So Guinevere Turner was the first person to agree to an interview long before Ted ever happened. I got that through a friend of a friend. And I was really stoked because like one of your Derners, like a huge pioneer of like lesbian cinema and worked on Chasing Amy and kind of consulted on it and was in it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it really meant a lot that she would say yes to, you know, I was fresh out of film school. Like I had no connections um, in that way. And so I was really grateful for that. And then Joey came about through a connection with uh, Melanie Addington, who is the executive director of the Oxford Film Festival. My last short played there. You know, she's known Joey for a long time. And she was like, hey, I know your TED Talk is going to come out. I know it's not out yet, but I could connect you to Joey. And Joey was super receptive from the get-go. You know, I, I told her what the TED Talk was going to be and why I was making this movie. And she was receptive and shared it when the TED Talk came out. And, you know, <laughs> it was super nice. And then Kevin came about because I waited to hold on to that (laughs) until the TED Talk was out. I was like, there's no letter I could send him. There's no pitch I could send him that would be half as effective as if he saw the TED Talk and saw how genuinely passionate I am about this movie and what it means, even if it's controversial to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Kevin responded within an hour of it being online because people tweeted it at him. But some other (laughs) big names that were surprising, Brie Larson shared it. And that came about because a Kevin fan, like, saw it and was like, you should tweet this at Brie Larson. I was like, well, I'm doing all the publicity for this. Might as well. Like, (laughs) I just, I was like, hi, Brie Larson. Someone said that you would like this. Please take a look at it. And then about 10 minutes later, she shared it. And then she went off Twitter for a couple months. So that was like the last thing she tweeted a couple of months after captain marvel came out and i was like okay this is really good this is really good exposure (laughs) (laughs) and then ben affleck came about like a friend of a friend of a friend's like shared that with him Mm. and he tweeted it out the person who shared it was like, yeah, I usually send him, like, messages when he kind of messes up, so he was really happy to get, like, some good news from me. <laughs> that made me laugh. Yeah, he was sick of hearing about
3: Jersey Girl. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> Monica
1: Lewinsky shared it, and that was, like, a friend of a friend, oh, wow. I think, who, like, sent that to her. So, I mean, like, life's weird. I don't know. I mean, but yeah. it was really cool that Ben shared it. That was really great, a really great payoff, and he used the hashtag yeah. Ben Affleck Film Festival <laughs> in it. <laughs> which, <laughs> <laughs> really made my day.
2: It's a really good TED Talk. If nobody's listened to it, it's, I mean, it's only eight minutes, which is great because it's just nice and quick. And a lot of TED Talks are really good about that, about getting yeah. a lot of information in quick. And then it's like, if you want more, there's more information out there. Yeah. But yeah. here's just like a, a quick, concise. And they
1: can find that at your on your website, right? Yeah, yeah. SavRogers.com. You can look at my TED Talk. It's just nice that people are so nice about it. Like, and people who like, you know, I don't know, have like come up to me and like, I've seen your Ted talk and I'm like, what? That's crazy. (laughs) That like 10 people saw
3: that. There's something too, that's really neat about like, you know, if you think about back in the day before social media and everything, there's almost this aspect of the things that really are uh, the people who are role models to you and and the art that influences you and just life experiences in general. Like you never really think you're gonna jump into something and meet your heroes. And, Mm -hmm. And there's something about like that whole saying of like never meet your heroes you know what i mean because mm-hmm. sometimes you do and they just don't end up being the people that you've built up into this this expectation and i'm just curious mm-hmm. about you kind of doing that a little bit of meeting your hero was it everything you kind of had expected or was it a little more or, or was it something that you're like you know Uh, I kind of could have went without that, (laughs) but I, you know, and and, then maybe you can't say it now because you are making the movie, but, but it just seemed like a very positive thing for you of being able to kind of meet the people that influenced you.
1: Totally. I can't say too much just because I don't want to totally give away stuff that's happening in the movie, but I will say everybody who I've met, through this whole process has been nothing but extremely kind to me and very generous with their time. There are no bad experiences here. I'm just reluctant to say anything because I think part of the journey is revealing it in the, in the documentary. Yeah. But Kevin, Joey, everybody, everybody's shown me nothing but kindness and enthusiasm. Because they were all once me. I think they remember very vividly just being a kid looking for a shot. And, you know, I'm about the age that they were like making Chasing Amy. They've all just been like very sweet and very kind. You know, they respond to my messages. Like they are very keen to like do more follow up interviews and be a part of it and be like nice to me. You know, I feel like Kevin has been somebody who's given an extraordinary amount of his time, even though I don't ask for very much of it, in my opinion, but he's given an extraordinary amount of time to me who he didn't know before this process, but he was the one who like reached out to me. Like I tried to reach out to his reps at WME the day after the TED talk came out. And I was like, hey, so Kevin said on Twitter that he would like be in my movie. Could you just like forward this to like whoever is like representing him? And then he like DM'd me on Twitter the next day and like was like, here's my phone number. Send me a text. I sent him a text and he called me and was, we talked for 20 minutes. He said how much the Ted talk meant to him. And he was super sweet and really excited to like be a part of it. And I couldn't have asked for anything more.
3: Well, he's one of those filmmakers too that, uh, I don't know. He just seems like he really does recognize that the fans are the reason he is, has gotten where he's gotten, you know, and, and with all the Mm -hmm. talks and, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, stage shows that he's done and stuff like that. And he's one person you can go out of the entire industry
1: that guy knows who got him where he got him. Absolutely. And and we've talked a lot about it throughout the process of making Chasing Chasing Amy. You know, man, but I'm not like the only person he's been nice to. I mean, like, you know, yesterday it was revealed that like he paid off like people's debts at his comic book store. He's the real deal. And he's probably one of the nicest people I've met, like period, like not just like in Hollywood or anything like that. He's by far like the most famous person I know or anything like that. He's like a person. Like he's not just this character that people see as like, hey guys, it's me, Kevin Smith. You know, it's, he's not just that. He's a, he's a person that, that cares about other people. You know, this is totally irrespective of criticisms people have of chasing Amy, which I understand, even though I don't personally, you know, uh, hold in my heart, but even if people have an issue with him, like take it from me. He's shown me nothing but kindness. I told him, and this was on camera, but I'm fine saying this, you know, he wasn't like my hero or anything like that before, you know, he was just the Mm -hmm. guy that made this movie that was really important to me and had a lot of value to me. And I loved his other movies, like Dogma, Clerks. Like I really loved those movies growing up and I still do, but seeing him as a person and like the kindness and, and the compassion that he shows for people as like a person that has made him my hero more than anything else because he's mm-hmm. like a real person now. I'm not a person that, you know, enjoys relationships that don't like have reciprocity. You know, I'm not on like Twitter being like, oh my God, you're my idol. Like I'm gonna put you on this pedestal and like, you know, you are everything to me. But I am very passionate about the things that I <laughs> that I like, you know, like Birds of Prey, love that movie. Talk all day <laughs> about Birds of Prey. But I don't put any of those filmmakers on a pedestal because they're just people at the end of the day. And they're people that just made something that I really liked. And there's no reciprocity in like wanting something from them that way. But you can get a lot back, I think, loving a movie because movies are just there for you to love. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Kevin became like, like a hero in that sense to me and that he's a good person who is like shown me a lot of kindness and, but he's also just a fucking dude, you know? And I think that's important. He's just a person who made a movie that I really liked. But it's really cool That so many people like him because I think he's somebody that is worthy of that attention because he's really genuine with the relationship he has with the people that like his movies, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: In the TED Talk, it's kind of fun because it's like, there's a little bit of like,
2: probably for a lot of people, Chasing Amy was just like, ah, oh, it came out, it's a Kevin Smith movie, and right. they never thought second thing about it. And so for you to kind of come out to it, there's almost like a moment of like, hey, I kind of have this like almost embarrassing thing to tell you how much I love this movie that probably for anybody else, are like, I think I remember seeing that movie. But it's great because it's like, that's the connection. Like, that is the weird thing when you're like, hey, I love this movie. And it's like a 5.1. I'm not saying Chasing Amy, but I mean, like, you know, just people who have that, whatever it hits, it hits that hard. And I feel like in general, Kevin seems like he's kind of that person. Like, he's a cheerleader, but it's also like, hey, I love that movie. Like, I know some people think it's a piece of crap, but. (laughs) And then he's kind of a cheerleader for creators, people doing the thing, you know. So I think it's kind of a nice. That movie that's created you, he seems like he's that kind of a person too of like, if anything he says
1: the most is like, well, just go do the thing. Yeah, go make it, man. Oh, like I, you know, I can't even say how many stories I know about like people who have been touched by his kindness. And I think he's somebody who is, used any fame or positive attention to do really good things i'm not by the way chasing chasing amy is not like this objective story about like you know like a bbc documentary or something like that where it's like well there are two equal truths like i totally come at it as somebody who loves chasing amy and is seeking out dialogue with people who don't and like trying to understand and then the story becomes a lot more personal as time goes on so like, I don't want it to be a thing where it's like, well, why would I watch this fucking movie? This guy just like loves Chasing Amy. And it's like, well, yeah, I can't change that. That is like a part of like who I am at this point. And like, it's not just a thing where it's like a, a an ego stroke for for Kevin Smith. But anytime people have anything to ask me about Kevin, I have nothing bad to say. <laughs> like, it's been cool. It also
3: adds the conversation of how art can affect different people.
1: You know what I mean? Like yeah.
3: movies in general, mm-hmm. like somebody like you, you like Birds of Prey. I was not a huge fan. I enjoyed it while I watched it. But as a movie, when I started breaking it down, I actually was like, ah, there were a lot of things I didn't like about it.
1: But, you know, but- Are you you saying this to start a fight with me? Because-
2: (laughs) <laughs> Batman <fistic> convers- convers- <laughs> Batman
3: World
1: pro- Hey, I don't mind a
2: debate
3: No, uh, But you know what I'm saying, but there's movies you yeah. grow up And some people are just so affected by these things <laughs> And you watch it and you're like, it was okay yeah. But then on the other side, someone might have the same About a movie that really affected you and you Or me oh, you totally. know, and, and, it, and it's just like, it's so interesting how Art in general, the subjectiveness of it We try to put a rating system on it Or a, right. you know, something In there to like, awarded the best And you're just like, you know I've seen a lot of best films that a lot of people did not like, you know, or that I didn't like or something like that. And so it's, it's, it's so interesting to go through life and see these like systems put into place to like rate these movies that affect so many different people on so many different levels.
1: I got tagged in a tweet today that called Chasing Amy one of the worst movies of all time, quote, (laughs) one of the worst movies of all time. And my initial reaction is, okay, one, I want to talk to you for the doc. Two, have you seen the worst (laughs) movies of all time? (laughs) And then three, it's like, okay, why do you feel so passionately that this is one of the worst movies of all time? And how do you define worst? Film is so subjective. And it really shows when like people's like, Sensibilities are like mm-hmm. offended, where it's like, uh, i placed my whole identity on this movie. What the fuck are you talking about that it's a terrible movie? But right. like at this point with <laughs> Chasing Amy, like I don't feel that because I'm like, I know people hate it. Like, yeah. that's why I started making the movie. I'm not quite there with Birds of Prey, but we can talk about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Davis just
2: wants to know, is it okay if Batman is in the second one? That, I think that's his yeah, main just problem. just put no. him in the second one.
3: No, no. <laughs> it's Batman, no, it's- my issue with Birds of Prey was I thought they had a lot of great characters that they weren't mm-hmm. able to dive into because they had made it about Harley Quinn and made it through her perspective, but she didn't really live in any of these people's lives enough to like really talk about it. I would have been more interested in a Harley Quinn movie just with Harley Quinn or a Birds of Prey movie about the Birds of Prey because I thought they were really interesting characters that just didn't get any time to really delve into that.
1: Oh, I disagree. I, I really love Harley as a character. Like, she's what really got me into comic books, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I see that, and I'm just like, of course this is a Harley movie. I mean, she's such an unreliable narrator. She doesn't know what order to tell the story in. I mean, she gets, like, sidetracked with all these things. Also, can we trust the point of view that we're seeing the movie from? Did these things actually happen? I don't know. I think it's really fun in that way. But I'm also, as a Harley fan, I'm really interested in, like, her take on these characters as opposed to just having like a whole thing for these characters themselves. Like, don't get me wrong, if we had just a Birds of Prey movie, that would rock. I mean, you know, but that's their origin story. And now they can go forward and just like do whatever they want if there was just like a Birds of Prey solo movie. But I think like the chaos that Harley adds into the world is so fun. It's so much better than just like a straight superhero movie to me because it feels like something from Harley's point of view is inherently like a comic book. and really adds that element of fun that is sometimes missing from these comic book movies. Sometimes I think these movies take themselves really seriously and it's like, great. I'm glad that you take the subject matter really seriously, but I would also love to see a comic book movie that felt like a comic book. Like Batman and Robin. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that's a But that's a bonus of that movie Like I watched that movie Irony free And I'm like This is fun I mean it's ridiculous But it's fun um, yeah. But I love a lot of ridiculous movies But that's the thing That I'm talking about, about You know that we were talking about About subjectivity People take different things away From different movies But it's so interesting When you like People feel attacked Because they feel like A movie is like a part of them Or an extension yeah. of them Like if you want to understand me You need to understand this movie Right and I think that's something that we try to touch on in the documentary. Uh, I think it's kind
3: of like with casting too, when people like casting the choice, I'll just use Batman since we're on it. But yeah. like, you
1: know, when people cast
3: like a Batman film and they're <laughs> if casting we weren't, you know, the Joker- If we weren't, it would right. still be, we would still it be, would be still using somehow Batman. somehow get back to Batman. <laughs> no, but like, you know, when people are casting like a Joker or a Batman or a Harley Quinn, like everyone feels this need to be like, oh, I'm so damaged by who you cast. I'm so attacked by it. And it's like, yeah. you haven't even seen it yet. You've not even seen the work done. And for some reason you feel like it's it's an attack on your belief of what could happen. For instance, Ben Affleck. I thought he was an amazing Batman. I actually really loved his Batman. I just don't think he really had time. Like, I don't think he really got enough time.
1: Yeah, I mean, but also like, did you read that New York Times interview with him? where it's like if he did another Batman movie, he was going to like start drinking again and it was going to destroy oh, yeah, him. Oh, know it was like totally oh, yeah.
3: ruining his life.
1: <laughs> yeah, which like I get, like what being Batman, not worth yeah. it. But I really liked what he did with the yeah. material that he had. Oh, me too. Um, it's a subject of debate, you know, whether or not it was inherently excellent material, but I thought he did really great with that character and he was really interesting to me. And I say this like fully acknowledging not every Affleck movie works, but I have mm-hmm. a soft spot for Affleck, clearly. Um, but I'll never be able to be like... You know, unbiased about it, I guess. Uh, forces Affleck of Nature, was anyone? The bombs and phantom. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> love, you know what? I liked Forces of Nature. That's a I fun rom com. It's a fun rom-, rom When that came out, I was Andy like, I don't know,
3: 10, eight, yeah. 10 years old. And I was like, this is a fun movie. <laughs> yeah. That was when they started saying Ben cries in every film. And I was like, hmm. Yeah. Does he? Does he cry,
1: does he cry <laughs> in every film? What? That was, like,
3: that was like the joke back in the day was that if Ben's in it, he's crying. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I know I he know. has like, like I
1: know he cries in Forces of Nature. He sheds one tear in chasing Amy when <laughs> yeah. Alyssa's breaking up with him. I don't, does he cry in Goodwill Hunting? I don't think he I does. Say, I don't I think he don't cries
2: in Goodwill Hunting. I don't think he
1: cries in. I think he has lives. that
2: longing face at one point where he's just like.
1: Oh man, my friend. My maybe, friend they, left. maybe they meant he wants to cry in every movie. <laughs> interesting. I don't recall call him crying and changing lanes either. But we could go on. All
2: maybe yeah. every maybe everybody else is crying, and so they're seeing it through their <laughs> tears. And so,
1: <laughs> Why is That's interesting,
2: crying in this interesting. I Ryan need to Z see crying. the
1: the Way Back. I'm I'm stoked on that yep. one because I love basketball really and good. I love Affleck and and I love Gavin O'Connor and he did the mm-hmm. the accountant, which I really like. That also yeah. had Affleck. Yeah. I wanted to talk about how uh, Birds of Prey. This is what I want to talk about. I am so (laughs) sick of people taking the Joker seriously as an Academy Award winning potential performance, and then they don't take... Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn seriously because what she's doing with that character deserves notice especially for Birds of Prey I just disagree the fact that the Joker is so much deeper of a character than Harley Harley's got a lot going on she's got a lot of interesting backstory and all of that subtext is really brought to the surface I think in Birds of Prey, I'm writing this article right now about the, how the 2021 Oscars could be uh, amazing if it's just the movies that have come out so far this year. I'm really deadly, like serious about like I think that that's an Academy Award-winning character right there and is worthy mm-hmm. of the same attention that we give the joker but because it's not like you know this brooding like white dude like I don't think we give it the same attention I don't think yeah. we, we take that character seriously because she's funny and she's fun and you know she has a sense of chaos that isn't directly tied to like this sense of anarchy I don't think we take that as seriously and I think that that's bad I think that's a bad take to have on the character that's hard with comedy in general too
2: that's not only I mean I think the gender things are there definitely. Yeah, as well of of being taken as seriously and stuff like that. But Academy stuff and award stuff, unless they have I mean, you know, the Emmys, is it the Emmys that have like a comedy and musical and, a you know, it's like unless they split it, they're like, no, like we need to be crying and cancer and death and, you know, things where it's just like sometimes it's like you a good comedy that can make you feel and stuff is so much harder to accomplish to do well. It's like everybody understands pain a lot easier than they do. Cause comedy is a,
3: is a lot more subjective. Well, it's almost a spot of, I think people also expect Margo to be good. You know what I mean? There's, they're not worried. And she she's is gonna good. Be bad. Yeah. Even thinking about like Leo DiCaprio, like how long did it take him to finally win an Oscar? And you're like, this guy has been amazing in every film he's yeah. been
1: in for the most part. I thought he should have won for a Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, oh, that's yeah. a dramatic film, but it's also, he's deeply funny in it. Yeah, like, oh yeah. And I'm not going to, I didn't see the Revenant. I don't have an opinion on it. It's good. It's really good. But I but i genuinely see wolf of wall street as a movie where it's like that is a performance that is a movie that should go and get he carried that film
3: his character development in that versus what he went through in the revenant to me are very different things if you're going to give someone an award for what they go through that's cool but if you're given an award for an acting performance wolf of wall street was like yeah tens across the board i think people like to be
2: surprised a lot mm-hmm. of times, like there's, there's like the Meryl Streep where you're like, everybody's always like, oh, she's great in everything. No matter what she comes out with, if it's mm-hmm. something good, like, like they're going to, you know, probably try to nominate her or something. And then there's like those moments where you get, you know, like Matthew McConaughey do, finally like, kind of like, okay, he's not doing failure to launch. He's not doing how to lose a t- guy in 10 days. Yeah. And he like, all of a sudden does like mud and Dallas Buyers Club. And then all of a sudden <laughs> it's yeah. like, whoa, what is this? Like he was doing all this like surface stuff. And now all of a sudden we get a deep performance. It's a surprise. And then you go, okay, but Gary Oldman has been killing it over here <laughs> yeah. forever and for the record, and have like, anything, you know? I know it's this like, is
1: all totally subjective and like, yeah. I didn't see Dallas Buyers Club. You know, I'm not saying that anybody should have yeah. won instead of someone else, but I was like, if this was an Oscar worthy performance, like if Leo was ever going to win an Oscar, like I thought Wolf of Wall Street should have been it. So it's not saying no. Matthew McConaughey shouldn't have won or anything like mm. that. Yeah. But genuinely, like I think Margot should have also won for I, Tonya. Uh, <laughs> it's just yeah. so good. Such a good movie. <laughs>
0: I like to get into a little bit more specific with the documentary. Like what all hats are you having to wear there in making this film?
1: A lot of hats, directing, producing, writing the paper edit for it. You know, I'll probably end up doing a little bit of editing on it. Did some camera operating for some of it. It's kind of just like dive in there and, and see what you can do. But I'm on camera a lot, so I'm not doing a lot of operating while I'm on camera and everything like that. There's a lot of work, but it's good work and it's cathartic, you know, and it's an opportunity to tell my story from my point of view. It is just nice to be able to do that through the prism of my love for a movie that, you know, is highly controversial. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, like even with your TED Talk, sometimes I like to think about the things that I guess are at the core of who we are as not only filmmakers or creatives, but there's these certain values that I think are essential in art or in the creative process process, you know, certain things that can really make people effective. And what I see with your life, I would be really interested to hear your thoughts on empathy. I heard you saying like somebody tweeted that it's the worst movie ever, but you're more interested in finding what's common about you or understanding that point of view. I mean, I think we all know it. it's important to be empathetic. What are your views in that light? Well, first, I think
1: filmmaking, acting, all of that is just a big exercise in empathy, trying to understand different people's points of view and show conflict in an empathetic way. I think that is important to everything that I do while we're making movies. I try to be empathetic and make sure everybody feels heard, you know, understand people's different points of view, making people feel safe to talk to me. They know that I like chasing Amy and I've laid my cards out there and I have said why I don't, have any disrespect for anybody that dislikes Chasing Amy. People have different relationships with movies for a variety of different reasons. It's super cool when we have a lot in common and, you know, we can bond about that, but it would be really boring if I made a movie about how great Chasing Amy is with no external conflicts, you know? that's mm-hmm. not how movies are made that would be really boring and life's not that way. And all of the different opinions that I hear about Chasing Amy make it ultimately more interesting than just my take on it alone. So I think empathy is extremely important. I try to practice it in my own life as a person. Sometimes I have snap judgments that are immediate, but I try to overcome maybe those negative feelings that I have and and just try to listen to people's different points of view. It makes me more compassionate. And I feel like everybody could benefit from being more compassionate towards one another. Now, obviously, I have my line in the sand. No Nazis, no none of that. Mm-hmm. But I also want to understand what makes people radicalized to that point, And how can we stop that? It's a constant balancing act. How can we bring out the best in each other? And I try to do that with my movies and, and try to have a positive view on a lot of things because I'm an optimistic guy. I like to think that we are more than the worst things we've ever done or our worst opinion or our worst moments. I like to think that we can ultimately rise above any bad things that we've gone through and that movies are a good way to showcase that kind of empathy. You know, we were interviewing a film critic for the movie. I was like asking her, like, do you think it's important to be able to see yourself? And she's like, no, I think movies are really about getting outside of yourself and understanding other people's points of view. It's not necessary for you to see yourself all the time. And I was like, that is a perfect answer. It's really why people are drawn to movies. It's a safe way to experience, you know, drama or action or a crazier side of life that you would never want to experience, but you'd want to kind of be a boy or two, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. empathy is necessary for all of that. As somebody who exists more and more in public every day, I try to just show what I think we could all use, which I think is ultimately, empathy across the board. And I'm hoping that with our movie that you can see empathy for people with multiple points of view, people who have been harmed by Chasing Amy or another movie and just see that multiple things can be true at once. And that's okay. And that's kind of how we have to learn to exist, especially when we have this influx of everybody's opinions available all at once on the internet. Mm-hmm. It feels like a, like a flaming heap of trash, right? But the other side of that, everybody's entitled to an opinion, right? Right. So, (laughs) you know, how do we navigate being more empathetic while also giving people the space to like share their feelings? This is a new thing where so much information is just available to us at all times. And how do you navigate that without all of that information just crushing you? Because I can't be on Twitter some days. Like my empathy like runs out for people who are obviously trying to start shit, (laughs) you know what I mean? So it's it's a balancing act just like anything else. But I think the idea of there being multiple things that can be true at once is really Mm -hmm. valuable to me and I think that's kind of my guiding principle with empathy. You just got to understand that there's no objective truth under the sun. That's not related to like science or something. You know what I mean? Like when mm-hmm. it comes to people, there can be like, there's, this is like a mass effect quote. Cause I'm a fucking nerd. But like, I think like Liara in that series said something like there can be three humans in a room and six contrasting opinions at yeah. the same time. <laughs> nice. And it's true. It's so true. And so mm-hmm. that's what I guess I'm trying to aim for. I don't know if that answers your yeah. question. Yeah, it totally does. And, I think it,
0: and it sheds light on also, I think it comes, down to stories. Like you don't know someone until you know their story or what their perception is or whatever, unless we can dive a little deeper into, you know, a subject, it's very relative to what's happening around them and their experience. And so, like you said, other than science, it's very, you know, it depends, you know, it just just depends, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And, And I, and I should say my emphasis is always in my life, always to try to benefit the most marginalized of us, because until all of us are doing okay, you know, I don't think we're, we can say we're doing okay. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I try to in my practice to always be like anti-racist, anti-transphobic, anti-homophobic, you know, it's not just enough to be pro those things, but enough to be anti trying to make other people feel small. And so that's really really important to me in in my practice. And so I'm trying to create some projects that are not necessarily movies going forward that can support those folks who I feel are being left behind to try to really showcase empathy and kind of put my money where my mouth is when I -hmm. I talk about my values.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. This idea of filmmaking or any kind of art or expression of creativity is really we take on this responsibility because the tools and the things that we are able to do can affect huge amounts of people you know and so Mm -hmm. it's nice to hear what you're pushing for what's kind of the why in kind of when you wake up you know what's the thing that pushes you because you said you're wearing a lot of hats but if you're involved in any kind of documentary for one you got to be insane and for two it's like something's (laughs) pushing you to make this thing and to do it you know and what's that thing that kind of is motivating you to do this thing
2: Money, documentaries make so much money. <laughs> Woo! That's where all the bread and uh, butter is in the filmmaking industry. <laughs> no,
1: <I kid. laughs> I'm somebody who's really intrinsically motivated. You know, like once I've set my sights on something and I feel really motivated, like it just kind of keeps going. You know, I feel really pushed though by the fact that I'm the only person that can tell this story from this point of view because it's my story, right? And I feel like I have something of value, I guess, to add. By expanding this conversation about queer movies, you know, multiple things being true at once, trans people and showing that story, I think it could have great meaning to some people. And I'm working with really great collaborators who won't let me get in the way of this being good, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, I just feel really strongly because of the response to the TED Talk, you know, I thought I was just making this movie for myself. And then I realized, oh, there's so many more people who mm-hmm. could benefit from me being honest about myself, my journey, and what this movie has meant to me and what it means to other people, good or bad. I'm also very stubborn. Once I set my mind on something, you know, if it's working, I want to keep going, even if there's obstacles, you know, like money is always an obstacle. Access is sometimes an obstacle, but I'm committed to telling the story and being really authentic with it and, and trying to have fun with it and, and showing what a rich, full inner life looks like for someone like me, yep. because I think that's not seen... Very often, I'm really stoked about it. But I've also got a lot of other projects. I'm really stubborn about making sure I, I make. Um, <laughs> again, it's really intrinsic. But the external things are nice, you know, like awards and, and shit like that. Like, don't get me wrong, I love that shit. Just like most people, I would say that's why they exist, right? Mm. It's like a nice like validation, like, hey, you're doing good, kid. But <laughs> I have a very high standard for myself, and I don't think I've made a movie yet that quite hits that high standard I have. And so I'm just relentlessly in pursuit of meeting my own expectations. Does that make sense? I hope that doesn't sound like dickish or anything, but like, I'm really, I'm really hard on myself. (laughs) I think it's
0: something we all kind of definitely have a little bit of that drive of like, I just want to be the best period, you know, like I want to be the best and it's not something about being awarded, you know, it's just something that I'm made of the same things that anybody that's good at something is made of, you know? So it's like, Mm -hmm. what's the difference? Why can't I be good at that? Yeah, Right. I do want to compliment like some of the things that you said, like, I don't know how old you are, but I can tell that you're younger than I am. (laughs) I'm 25. 25. So like, even there, it's like, you keep saying this project, this movie, I call it hyper focus. A lot of times when you talk to somebody, especially the younger ones, it's like, what do you want to do? And it's very generalized. And so I think finding that thing that you want to do or you need to do is super important. That one, what's the one thing that you got to do, you know? And that's super important. The drive to get Mm -hmm. this made. Yeah. So I've got a couple of really super deep questions. So, speed round. Yeah, speed round. Yeah, speed round. All right. I'll, speed round I'll try today.
1: to answer these as succinctly as possible. <laughs> okay, Here we go. All right.
0: Would you rather live the rest of your life with silent but uncontrollable gas or loud, uncontrollable sneezing? Loud sneezing. Mm.
2: Yeah, I, I'll sneeze all day.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm going
3: to say. Gas because right now nobody wants a sneezer near
0: them. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.
3: That's true. Moving moving fo- moving forward, we may be. <laughs> yeah,
0: I guess my question is, what if you already have uncontrollable gas? Right. Yeah, that's loud. And then, and you can always crop you us? both. No, the
3: uncontrollable gas is you crop <laughs> dust. You walk by and you're like, and you look at that person and you go, Ugh.
0: <laughs> "Get away from oh, time. <laughs> All right, last one. All right. <laughs> but you can only hear one song for the rest of your life. Is it Bohemian Rhapsody or Ring of Fire? I'm already kind of I, I don't know. I listened to those songs to death as a teenager.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess like there are more parts to. Bohemian Rhapsody that I could just like zero in on. If I just wanted to hear like a killer guitar solo, if I wanted to hear opera, I guess I could listen to another yeah, part. I don't, you know, uh, I'll go yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. No disrespect <laughs> to Johnny Cash though.
3: <laughs> yeah. I think I'm gonna have to go the same.
1: Yeah. I think for the same thing,
3: just brings it's a lot like, of people together.
2: Burning yeah. burn Ring of Fire is great. It is, it is its thing. And that's its thing.
3: Yeah.
2: (laughs) You're stuck with that. I think it it takes a journey. So if you want to, you can just be like, I'm just going to listen to the first half today. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Ring of fire reminds me of that one accident where I actually fell into a uh, fire and or like reminds me of my accidents, you know? So I think Bohemian Rhapsody is. We're going to have to talk about that more sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, I fell into a burning
3: ring of fire again. Yeah. So Sam, we know we, uh, we'd love to bring you on again.
1: Oh my God. Yeah. Anytime. This is fun. We're also in quarantine. So you have a very captive <laughs> yeah, participant <right>. here. <laughs> Thank you for having me on the show. I mean, this was super rad. And I always love talking about movies, not just yeah. mine. Yeah. So yeah, any, anytime a, you watch a lot of movies, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. I watch the same movies over and over again and I've seen a lot of movies. So <laughs> like, it's not just chasing Amy that I have like fanatical knowledge about, like I could like break down pretty much, I think any part of, Birds of Prey at this point. Like, I've seen it that many times. <laughs> Saw it four times in theaters. I mean, like, I'm just somebody who likes to rewatch movies to understand what I like about them and what works for me. So right. I think that's where, like, my crazy comes in. Like, we're So talking I have about to watch crazy. it like
3: eight more times and then we can really debate about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Watch it eight more. Here, I will make you a
1: list of everything that's amazing about that movie and then you rewatch it and try not to have my point of view, my dude. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
3: Is there a book that you could recommend to anyone right now? It doesn't have to be a film related, just something that you're reading?
1: Yeah, The Greatest Movies You'll Never See. It is a book about all the greatest movies that never got made by like big directors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And like basically masterpieces that never saw the light of day, never could get produced. Really fascinating. So if you like movies and you want to know more about like movie history... It's a great way to like have some conversation starters. Davis and I got to be a part of, we read the, oh crap, I can't think of Rise his Rise of
2: Skywalker. No. The, but it's, so Trevor it was the uh, Duel of the Fates. Oh yeah. yeah Colin Trevorrow. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't read that script. It's so good. It's really, really good. And it will just make you go, oh man, I really want to see that movie. <laughs> All right. I will check I it out. It. It's, it's a good read. And you can just find it online. It's super easy to track down now, but I heard that y'all went viral with it.
0: So uh, <laughs> congrats on that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. well man! Thanks so much. All All right, right. good night. So
1: thanks for jumping
0: on. Thank you. As always, please check out the show notes for links to our guest work. The Creator Burn Podcast is a production of C2D2 Films and Follow Happy Productions. Written and produced by Chad Crenshaw, Davis Durack, and CJ Drummiller. Original music by CJ Drummiller and Joseph Adam Gray.